Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time to get sexy. Secular sexuality. Hello and welcome to Secular Sexuality, the ACA show that hopes to have you hypnotized, mesmerized by what your eyes are about to see. I'm Christy Powell. My captivating co-host tonight is, of course, Vila Bianca. All right, and we may be having some issues with V's audio. Let's, oh, shit. Uh, oh, yeah, there now? we go. Hey, we go. how you doing? I was being so polite and muting my mic and everything. Right? Oh, yeah, that's that, that's that 2020 culture right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So tonight's guest, I know Christy is super excited about because this is a topic that he has been teasing us with for a very long time. Uh, we talked with this person uh, about a week ago to discuss her career as an erotic audio performer. Uh, and she invited us into the world of erotic hypnosis and the healing power of porn. Confused? Intrigued? If you want to talk about this, jump on the phone lines. We are here all night at 512-991-9242. Or you can call us toll-free online at tiny.cc slash call sex. The lines are open. If you have a story about being hypnotized, literally or otherwise, if you want to talk about porn and how it's helped you, um, or maybe how it hasn't helped you and get some perspective from us, feel free to call in. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're taking your calls. But in the meantime, uh, let's go ahead and watch that clip together. We've talked to a, a couple of people recently about the world of erotic audio, and I'm really curious how you got into it or how you you know, found this industry. Well, I was a couple of years ago, I was listening to an audio book and the narrator was a man with a very sexy voice. And it just occurred to me, I just kind of idly thought, I wonder if there are guys who do kind of boyfriend type audios where they talk to you like they're your boyfriend. So I went and I looked on Literotica and it was like a, I was like a kid in a candy shop and I was just completely hooked. I just couldn't believe what I had found. And um, so then I just very quickly thought I can do this. So, <laughs> so that's, that's how I got into it. I have a sexy voice. I can do this. You uh, see, I'm telling you, I advocate very strongly for people to do erotic audio. It can be a life changing experience and a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, how has the industry treated you? I mean, is this a, a full-time career for you or what, what does it look like? Yeah, it's a full-time career for me. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm one of the few people um, now anyway, um, I might not be, but I know at the time that I started, I was one of the few people doing it full-time. It's been remarkably 
uh, it's been a remarkable experience for me, I have to say, from start to finish. For the first year that I did this, I did everything uh, was just a public free audio. I just didn't even think about it. I hadn't even occurred to me. And then fans started saying, you should charge for this. And I was like, what are you talking about? What? What? Charge for this? Like, what? You mean people would pay for this? You know? And uh, gradually, it just occurred to me that, yeah, I could do like a membership type site or something. And it just kind of went on from there. But it's been remarkable. Honestly, I cannot, ex I, I could go on for hours about what a great experience it's been just meeting people and touching people's lives and hearing their stories and making friends and creative collaborations. And it's just been fantastic. Yeah. Well, what sorts of products are you offering? I mean, how, how are you touching lives and, you know, having fans and customers now? Well, I do um, what I like to call intimate immersive audio, meaning that it's it's erotic, sometimes not. But what I do is it, I create little scenarios and audio experiences. They can go anywhere from role play right up to just these meta kind of rambles where I just talk to people and you know give them the, some encouragement or whatever. I, sometimes I read poetry. I write fiction because I'm a novelist as well. So I, I record my own books, things like that. And what happens is it's an experience for the listener. In my case, I, I aim it only at um, male listeners or people who identify with the male uh, persona because they um, that's just my thing. I decided a long time ago that I didn't have anything against any, any other person, any other orientation or preference or anything like that. But it was just more true to me because this was how I felt. And I figured I might as well, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to fake anything. I, I want to be authentic and this is who I am. Uh, luckily, there there is a huge gamut of people out there that, that appeal to every single listener. So I don't have to worry about that so much. But what I do is I just create these experiences for people, for men to listen to. And um, what I learned was you could create a, a kind of a membership site where some of your, some of my audios are um, you have to you have to sign up in order to listen to them. But eighty percent of what I do is free, so it's just a it's just a way to kind of make some some money doing this, so that I don't have to go out and work full time. That I can actually devote all my time to to making these audios, and it's been incredibly popular because it's um, it's an experience unlike any other erotic content you're going to find out there. Most visual porn is just you, an observer on the outside looking in, watching two or three or 12 or whatever people, you know, <laughs> having sex with each other and not you. And the idea is with erotic audio or intimate audio is that you are talking to the listener as if they are a participant, as if they are the person that is in this scenario with you. And that speaks to people on a much deeper level. Um, it can be much more comforting, much more intimate, as I said, much more soothing, um, because I have found a lot of people come to this not necessarily just looking for a sexual experience, although there is that, and that's fine, but a lot of people are looking for a much more of a human connection. They're looking for uh, the intimacy that maybe they're lacking. Uh, maybe they don't have a partner. Maybe they've never had a partner. Maybe they've been through a, a breakup. Um, I've had widowers. I've had people who are deployed overseas and miss their wife. You know, I've had people write to me saying all of these scenarios that these types of audios help them feel better with. So that's the experience that I sell, if you will. But I, mm -hmm. as I said, it's only about 20% of, of my whole uh, production goes into that. So it's, it's mostly just um, out there for anybody to enjoy. 
But when, how has your, your work evolved? I mean, as you've been doing this and going from having, you know, just fans to now customers and, and building, you know, you've got a number of different websites and a number of different, uh, I guess, programs and, and different ways of going about it. So how, how has that changed for you? What have you sort of learned along the way? Well, when I, my very first audio, I was so nervous. I was shaking like a leaf. I mean, you know, I didn't really know. I, but I didn't have any expectations. And I think that was a sort of a gift for me in a, in a way, because I just started doing this the same way many people do erotic audio, which is just for fun. It's just a fun thing. It's a, it's a great way to express yourself. It's completely safe and, and anonymous, and you can just let go. You can describe your fantasies. You can, you can just have fun with it. And I guess what changed for me was realizing that um, as, as strange as it sounds, it, it almost feels like it's a responsibility in a, in a way that you, you know that you have people listening to you who really need what you're offering. Um, so it's less about self-expression now and more about my listener. It's, it's kind of like you create an avatar in your mind of your, of your average listener and you aim your audios towards him in my case. And it's more about, am I, am I giving the listener something that they're going to really need, appreciate, want? Am I giving them the variety that they, they they would get if they were in a relationship, for example, things like this that have no one's ever imposed this on me, but it just sort of feels like I'm lucky enough to have 400,000 people a month visit my website and listen to me. I've just passed 25 million downloads and listens of my audios. So I, I've, I feel like I have, you know, an audience to answer to in a way mm -hmm. so that I would not just now pick up the microphone and do something self-indulgent. I wouldn't <laughs> pick up something and just say, oh, I feel like doing X today. You know, um, I do try to stay authentic because this is pretty much what you see is what you get with me. And I'm very glad I went that way in the beginning because it would be really hard to maintain if I was, uh, if I was faking anything, really my feelings about sex and about men and stuff like that. But, um, but it does feel less like self-expression now. But it's okay because that also means it's it's evolved into a rewarding career for me. It lets me express my creativity, my writing, my performing. I've trained in acting and journalism and radio and I do voiceover work. And so it's it all kind of comes together into what I'm doing. So it's actually a really rewarding job for me. And I'm very, very lucky and grateful to have it. So it's a good evolution. <laughs> that sounds familiar. I'm only a year into uh, being a, a YouTube content creator person. Uh, and it, it did start out very much like a, um, you know, oh, I'm just going to dabble in this. It's just going to be for fun, you know, try something out once or twice. Mm -hmm. And it quickly does become, oh, this is this is a responsibility now. And it's yeah. it's a lot of fun and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But there is that element of people are expecting something and I need to come and, yeah. and give my best and give my all here. Um, I had a question and forgive me if this is maybe very basic, but do you primarily pre-record these things or are these things you engage in in the moment with your with your clients? Is this something that is purely, you know, uh, recorded prior and sent out or do you role play in the moment? No, for me, I am strictly a performer. All I do is I pre-record everything and I don't engage with my fans in that way. Some people do. Some people will do custom audios. So you could you could contact somebody and say, my name is so-and-so, and I would love to hear an audio that features, I don't know, 
watermelons. I mean, whatever, you know, you could, you could, you could do whatever you could ask the person to do whatever you, whatever you like, and uh, they'll say your name and that sort of thing. And other people actually do involve, uh, get involved in more uh, live streaming type things or one-on-one -on -one sessions. I don't personally, I treat everything like it's uh, I'm creating like a little, a little work of art. I don't know how to, else to put it, but each one is a little production and then I post it to various places. And so that's, uh, so it, in a sense, it's kind of like an evergreen thing. People can just keep coming back to it. New people can find it all the time. Um, and that's just the way I prefer to work. Wonderful. Thanks for that clarification. I was wondering if that was something that was done at all or, or that you did. So that's awesome. It's a, it's a complicated world and there's lots of all right. <laughs> I'm assuming that's uh... a... <laughs> yeah, that, well, that could be our segment break, but also I think I dropped out for a moment, so... Oh, that is what happened. Okay, I, th I thought we were breaking for a segment. I was like, there's another question here, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll jump in with the last question, if that's okay. Um, what have you what have you learned as you've jumped in here and uh, you've you've talked about how it kind of moved from self-expression to more of creating artwork for a consumer base? Uh, is there anything else that you kind of uh, have gleaned from this as you've have you, as you've built this uh, career for yourself? Uh, definitely, there's lots of things that surprise you surprise me every day still. But I think two of the most um, I guess the most poignant things, I guess, for lack of a better word, that I've discovered is that um, a lot of men are, are, especially young men, are very lost and really confused about how to deal with women. Um, if they are uh, straight young men and they're looking for, for women, they don't know how to approach women. They're terrified to do the wrong thing. They're aware that there has been a lot of abuse and a lot of harassment and a lot of issues. And they hear things in the media every day about masculinity, about me too, about all kinds of things. And they don't want to be part of the problem. So that leaves them with this kind of crippling insecurity where they don't know, um, they don't know what to do, but they know that they want this very much. So I've, I've learned as well that, that so many men are actually just really good guys. Like they, <laughs> there's so many good men out there that kind of get left behind in this. And it's not to say that it's taking anything away from the experience of people that have, you know, gone through something terrible, but it's just something that I, I was really kind of touched by when I started realizing that, that there's a lot of young men who really could just, I don't know, use a bit of guidance or a bit of um, reassurance that they are not, um, seen as these these horrible creatures by everyone you know that that good men and I use that word just to mean you know men that are not creeps men that are not going to hurt women you know um good men are 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 wonderful and that women and women love them and there's really no reason to be um afraid but that's going to be a very hard um that's going to be a hard sell I think because so many of them have been um convinced i think that that there's really little that they can do to to um achieve their goals or meet a woman or have a relationship and i just i find it really it's sad because because they're still they they remain most of them remain good men there's a lot of talk about incels and stuff like that about you know men that get angry that they can't have a woman but that is such a tiny 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 percentage of the of the men out there that i i don't 
think it's fair to kind of, um, you know, make the media focus on these men and then treat everyone uh, who's in that situation like they're one of these guys, because most of them remain good men who are respectful and honest and decent. And, and um, that's something that really, really opened my eyes when I started doing this. So I'm very grateful in a way that I got to see that perspective that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, so V, I'm really curious about your experience watching that tape back. Uh, I, I know as a therapist who works with a lot of men who feel awkward or uncomfortable around their sexuality and are, are just sort of trying to navigate this, uh, this new world uh, and haven't really been given a roadmap on how to do that in a way that is feminist, in a way that is kind, mm -hmm. honestly, uh, that it definitely resonates with me. But, you know, as a femme presenting person, as somebody who's grown up uh, on sort of the other side of that experience, mm -hmm. I'm really curious how this resonates or how it maybe doesn't resonate with you. I think it does and it doesn't. Like, sure. <laughs> of yeah. course, as always, there must be nuance. There must be two sides to every coin. Um, I think on the one hand, I want to draw a distinction between impact and intent. And sure. I think that a lot of the time, probably because of horrible sex education in schools and this unnecessary segregation between genders growing up and the horrible way that sex and romance are portrayed in media. There is a lot of misinformation out there and miseducation of men specifically uh, that even if they have the best of intentions, they are going to come across in ways that are creepy or ways that are <laughs> uncomfortable or maybe even non-consensual. And I think the key here is to make sure we're never saying this made me uncomfortable, therefore this person is bad or has evil intent mm -hmm. until we can actually establish that. So I think that the the impulse is understandable to close up and be like, no, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to make a snap judgment about this person because I'm feeling a certain way. And experience has borne out that this is usually the way I feel before something bad happens. That is to be respected. But also I think we need to make sure that we are separating those two and saying good guys can have terrible impacts, but also don't judge the character of a person solely on the impact that they have. Well, sure. And I'd, I'd like to think that this content or content like this can be part of the solution, you know, that it can be a opportunity to 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 role play. I mean, it's role playing audio uh, and to role play in a healthy way to experience, you know, vulnerability and romance and, and these other things that men aren't necessarily well trained for. Uh, exactly. But I, I guess I, I guess I just also want to acknowledge maybe the the gut reaction uh, that I have when when listening to some of that kind of language. Mm -hmm. And and there's the other side of this this coin as well, which is I take on mask roles, especially when I am on dates with cis women or trans women or you know femme presenting nb people um i tend to take on a role that is more mask and i fall into that fairly naturally but i also the minute i step into that headspace am inundated with those same messages right and so mm -hmm. i can very very easily empathize now that i've been in that space of oh, I'm supposed to be making the first move. How do I do that without, you know, crossing boundaries or, or drawing lines? Or, 
I'm, am I supposed to go in for a kiss? Do I ask for a kiss? Will that make it awkward? Like, do I, like, there, there have been so many times where I've just felt like a gawky 13 year old boy, just like, I don't know how to talk to girls. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that being on the other side of it, having had the experience of both is really enlightening and gives me a little bit more empathy, I think. Sure. I actually had a quick question too, yeah. and I'm curious about your take on this. I didn't mm -hmm. get to ask this uh, to our guest, Eve, um, but I did think it, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up, which is, do you think that there's a difference in how evangelical or any kind of conservative Christian uh, group would view audio <laughs> porn? Versus other types of pornography? Is that something, a distinction that you've come across before? Because to me- oh, man. It almost feels like something that would be like less offensive for some reason. Yeah, one of also, those like sex loopholes. Yeah, right? Like yeah. this feels like something that a lot of people who might be, you know, restricting other kinds of porn in their life might actually benefit from and be like, okay, this is a this is a guilt-free way or a way that doesn't come with as much stigma from my childhood or my indoctrination that I can kind of enter into this space. Oh, no question. Uh, I will say, you know, for myself growing up in a, a pretty rural era, uh, area in a era of dial up internet and stuff wow, like that. Wow, you put rural area and era all in the same Right? Sentence. Yeah, but it's because I'm an expert broadcaster. Uh, <laughs> so I, having that experience, there definitely was not access to uh, erotic audio, you know, when I was uh, coming up through high school and puberty and, and those experiences. But I, I have to believe, and I think uh, Eve even mentions this in uh, one of our last uh, uh, interview segments about how it is a little bit more approachable. And, you know, that could be seen as uh, that, that kind of conservative Christian thing where you like just lift the fence a little bit instead right, of actually right. like, you know, tearing it down and providing access. Uh, but I, I think for folks in our audience, even it could be a maybe an opportunity if uh, conventional porn or, or some of the things that we think of as porn make you feel uncomfortable or just give you that icky gut reaction, knowing full well that there's nothing you know immoral or unethical about that kind of content or you know the the right type of that kind of content. This may be a comfortable way of embracing your sexuality and maybe exploring it a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I definitely see where you're going with that question. And, uh, yeah, I'd be really curious to hear what some of our viewers think. Yeah. If you have an experience where maybe you lifted the, lifted the fence a little bit to, <laughs> to get in on that sweet, sweet sex content, um, while you were still a Christian, or maybe that's something you're dealing with now, uh, this is a great episode to call in for. So that is 512-991-9242. You have no excuses. <laughs> well, and we would love to hear uh, more from e all of y'all. We definitely do have lines open. We've got a couple of calls on hold, but I'm really eager to jump back into the interview so we can uh, have a little bit more to discuss. So if it's okay with you, V, let's go ahead and uh, roll that second clip. Let's do it. 
So Christy, I know that you've mentioned erotic hypnosis a couple times on the show and every time you've kind of just like dropped it like a like a like a crumb of something and then <laughs> left it. So I'm excited we're finally going to get to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, you you scooped me. I I went out and found a remarkable erotic hypnotist uh and Eve I'd, I'd love to hear how how you discovered this and how this became a part of the work that you do. Well, again, it was suggested to me by listeners who said, oh, I love your voice. I love what you're doing. Have you ever done erotic hypnosis? And of course, I had to go Google it because I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> but but uh, I thought, OK, yeah, I could do this. I could give it a try. And uh, so I found that that it had such a, a positive effect on a lot of people that I just and I enjoyed creating it. It takes a long time to create an erotic hypnosis audio. It takes usually a full day to pr to produce everything. But but uh, in the end, you get this very interesting, very late. Layered, um, relaxing, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Some of them are almost an hour long. So you end up with a very interesting audio track that um, that I thought, yeah, I'd be very happy to, in, to include this in with everything else that I do. Well, there are so many misconceptions and flawed beliefs around hypnosis. How do you, you know, cut through all that bullshit and just help people understand what it is that you're doing here or what you're offering? What I've started doing lately is at the beginning of every audio, I do a brief introduction where I say, this is um, an erotic hypnotic experience. And just so you know, this is what hypnosis is. It is deep relaxation. It is a pleasant experience. You are always in control. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. It's just a way for you to relax and to let your imagination and your creativity um, go wild, kind of. Um, but you, there's, it's not mind control. It's not, you're not in a trance. It, it, this is always something that you control. So just enjoy this experience and turn this off anytime you want. Wake up anytime you want. It's, it's just think of it as relaxation. In fact, on my site, I call it um, deep relaxation, erotic audio it's it's not meant to be hypnosis because that like you say it does scare people it has such a connotation of mind control and i have unfortunately had people write to me saying um the audio ended for me before you could do the wakener so am i still under your control things like that and and i just i i realized this person was really genuinely frightened so i had to kind of step this up more and explain more and go to more trouble to tell people what it was they were dealing with but I do find it interesting that some people write to me asking me to put suggestions into my hypnosis of things that they want. Men will say, can you do an erotic hypnosis that will make me want to suck a dick? I don't know. Can I say that? I'm not sure if I can say that. On the show, know. yeah. Please do. <laughs> um, and so to me, it's like, you know, I really wish I had the time to kind of speak with this person and say, there's a lot more going on here than just hypnosis. I mean, you really need to explore. You need to go inside and introspect a little and obviously you have some curiosity perhaps you're you're bisexual or you're gay or something and you're just using the fact that that you want someone to hypnotize you into wanting this and so i think there's there's a real issue here so i i think it's really um important that anyone who does this makes it clear what this isn't as much as they make it clear what it is mm -hmm. because you wouldn't want to mislead people you really wouldn't want them to believe that there's you know some kind of power that you have over them that's the last thing you want you know oh my goodness i remember when i was 16 17 reading the book drood 
And I don't know if anyone knows that book. If you do, hello, random person. Um, but it was essentially a book about Wilkie Collins and Charles Dickens, the two authors, and how Charles Dickens hypnotized Wilkie Collins for the entirety of his life. <laughs> and it's just Wilkie Collins like experiencing these really weird kind of acid trip-like experiences in the underground tunnels of London with this like cult. And it's all Charles Dickens his fault because he didn't wake him up <laughs> and it took me for like a year I was like oh my god this Imagine. really happens <laughs> or like or like the movie office space I don't know if you've seen that but yeah. the, mm -hmm. the hypnotist has a heart attack and so that's what makes Peter able to just you know be this kind of blase sort of you know walking around like he doesn't care for the whole oh, yeah. movie you know isn't so. that also the plot line of uh, Utopia or one of those utopian novels where he like goes to sleep because of a hypn hypnotist and then a gigantic like worldwide yeah. occurrence happens and he wakes yeah. up in the future? Yeah, I so think, I think it is theatrical. That's the thing. We get our ideas of it from theater, from watching X-Files where somebody puts you under for five seconds and suddenly you're you're regressing to a past life and things like that. You know, it's just it's crazy. And so when people hear it, they think of all these things, plus stage hypnotism, which is totally different again. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it's easy to, to make fun of. And I think it's important for us to kind of lay out like, yeah, the, this is an actual thing. We're not trying mm -hmm. to pitch some sort of bizarre magic or the supernatural. Uh, but it, it also makes sense why people can start to draw those conclusions because of the the depth of the relaxation. And I mean, I, I think there are people watching tonight that might be shocked to recognize that there are hands-free orgasm experiences on your website and that it's possible to achieve orgasm without any kind of physical stimulation, utilizing focus and the power of the mind in these different ways, it, it can feel a little bit like magic. Do you get that sort of like incredulity uh, when you're when you're kind of presenting this as even a possibility? Oh, certainly. And and I I think that um, an important thing to say is is you never want to dampen someone's sort of um, mystical appreciation of the human mind because it, we are fantastic creatures there's no question you don't have to be spiritual or religious or anything to understand that the human mind is capable of extraordinary things and so i think just that general appreciation for what we can achieve with our with our minds when we set our minds to it we all know of stories not even necessarily sexual but we all know of stories of people achieving incredible things just on willpower or or, um, you know, the things that they're able to convince themselves that they can do. Um, people that can lift cars when the car falls on their kid and stuff like that. You know, like there's just, there's things that we can do that our minds tell us to do. Um, and that's not a negative. That's not a, um, it's not supernatural. It's not something that is to be feared or worried about. Uh, it's just, it's just a, a, an ability that we have. And so I think what I try to do too is I often send out, there's a link that I have about um, hands-free orgasms where it kind of explains the physiology of it. So, uh, but the, but in, in layman's terms, the way I explain it to most men is I say, in puberty, you probably had wet dreams. Most young men do. Not all, it's not, it's not abnormal if you didn't, but most boys who go through puberty um, have um, you know, wet dreams. They have nocturnal emissions as they call them, right? And that's the body preparing for sexual activity. 
And so you have the framework, you have the, the mechanism in place for you to have orgasms without any kind of contact. So you're just kind of tapping into that as a grown man. You're just kind of remembering that part of your physiology that is capable of doing that. So it's not mystical. It's not a magical thing. It's just, if anything, it's more like you're you're back to being a pimply teenager again. <laughs> Maybe that spoils the... <laughs> sexy way of describing it. Yeah, sexy, that really yeah. sells for fantasy. <laughs> but, you know, that... But when I think when you ground it in reality like that, it gives people a much better appreciation for, oh, so this is just a real thing. This is a thing that I can do. And it's kind of neat, but it's not, it's not like some crazy otherworldly thing I have to worry about, you know? Sure. Well, I know you said that uh, you you kind of went out and learned how to do this due to popular demand and, and everything else. Uh, how did you learn the hypnosis aspects uh, in particular? What did that research really look like? Well, I looked up hypnosis as a serious um, therapy that people used for all kinds of things, for coming overcoming trauma, overcoming phobias. And in fact, I, I tried it myself because I had a a very long-standing fear of flying to the point that I couldn't fly. I just, I had a, tra a traumatic experience that was connected with a, uh, a flight and it just became connected in my mind and I had a terrible phobia and I couldn't fly. So I thought, well, I'm going to, in doing research, I'm going to try this on myself. I'm going to listen to um, hypnosis to help you get over the fear of flying. And it worked for me. I mean, I live in Ireland now. I mean, I got here on a plane, right? So I didn't swim, you know? And so I, I realized that there is power in this. There is something that being deeply relaxed and getting positive suggestions really helps. Um, it really lets your mind explore something without kind of the barriers of maybe your regular fears or your, your preconceptions, things like that. So I just started researching it more as a real therapy and started reading about what real... Um, hypnotherapists would do, the scripts that they would use, the way that they would treat their clients, the way they would help them relax and the type, the different types there were, the different kinds of things. And I just modified it for, um, for audio. There's several that you do in person, you know, you can drop the hand and there's all kinds of things you can do in person, but I just modified it for audio um, and made sure that the first section of my audios was, was very much just completely what you would expect at a hypnotherapist. And then the second part is something that would probably get my license revoked if I was a real <laughs> hypnotherapist. So, yeah. sure. But, you know, that's the thing. Everybody knows what they're getting into when they when they click play. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> what uh, what advice do you maybe have for curious viewers on on how to get into erotic hypnosis or, or you know, what to even be looking for? Well, what I have heard from people is that the reason they don't like it or they tend to stay away from it is that so far it has been used by entertainers who tend to go the route of humiliation, um, domination, uh, degradation, things like that. That's a particular kink. And, and, but if it isn't your kink, you can see how that would be kind of frightening. If mm. you feel as though you're getting into this stage of where you're very susceptible to suggestions, and then this woman is telling you that you're worthless and you're whatever, whatever, you know, if that's not your kink, then this is something that could be pretty terrifying to someone. Um, so I would say that if you have any fear, certainly try someone like me or other people. I'm not the only one who does kind of uh, for lack of a better word, you know, positive, <laughs> you know, erotic hypnosis, but look around and see what what is being presented? What are you, um, I call it kind of ethical porn. I have a whole list of things on my website that I consider to be ethical porn. And one of those things is that the, it's very clear what you're getting when you consume this and there's no surprises. There's nothing in it that's going to disturb you or surprise you or mislead you. Um, and also if, if you're curious about hypnosis, do what I did, try something relatively 
benign, for lack of a better word, first. Try something like, see if you can, if you can listen to hypnosis about something like, um, something minor like stop biting your nails or something, you know, and see how that works for you. See if you enjoy the experience. See if it's something that you, you may not take to it. You may, you may lie there and go, what the hell is this? You know, but you, you might love it. And so this way it would be a good sort of introduction into this kind of thing without you going the full kind of, okay, I'm going to put my sexuality on the line because I think we all know, you know, the sexuality is, is such a deeply ingrained part of us and it can be fraught with emotions and sometimes past traumas and things. So you don't, you don't want to really mess with it. I understand people don't want to take the risk with it, but you can definitely introduce introduce yourself to it slowly if you have any concerns. And also reach out to the performer. Most of us are easily contactable. You can just DM us or whatever, you know, on Twitter, however you want to reach us and just say, look, I'm curious about your, your recent uh, audio, but I'm just concerned about this, this, and this. Can you, can you help me? And most of us are, you know, I talk to my fans all the time. So I'd be happy to help someone if they, if they're concerned about it, if they can kind of meet me, you know, quote unquote, meet me first, then they might realize, okay, she's not going to implant some, you know, <laughs> mind control, you know, that kind of thing, you know? No um, evil lab tech going no, on No, exactly yeah. right. So it's just a way to, you know, you can do lots of different things to, to kind of ease yourself into it. Well, sure. Do you have any tips or tricks for people looking to achieve their first hands-free orgasm? Yes. Um, I think that the number one thing is that you really have to let go of expectations that it's that it has to happen for you because that's the number one thing is the tension that you feel in wondering, are you going to have it tonight kind of thing. It's the same thing that the, the advice they give to women who have a hard time reaching orgasm with their partners is you have to relax about it because the more tense you are thinking, I don't know if I'm going to have it tonight, you know, um, the less likely you are. So what I recommend to people is um, that they, they, they make sure that they're in a state where they're already very relaxed. Sometimes I even recommend set your alarm for three in the morning, you know, when you're, when you've already been asleep so that you're almost asleep, you're in that phase where you, your brain is almost in those kind of alpha wavy states to begin with. Um, and you're really deeply relaxed and try then. Um, I also suggest that you, um, Consume some kind of, uh, consume sounds wrong, but watch some kind of, or listen to some kind of porn that you real that really turns you on. But don't go all the way with it. Just get yourself worked up. Even if you just have to think of a favorite fantasy before this begins, so that you're kind of priming the pump, if you know what I mean. That really sounds mm. bad, but you know, like, <laughs> you know, like get yourself ready, get yourself in that mood before you even begin. So um, I wouldn't recommend alcohol that has that has some um, bad effects on the circulation and can affect your erections. But um, definitely just deep relaxation and and no expectations, knowing that you can always try this forever for as long as you have a dick, you can practice this. So so just chill out. You know, it's it's it 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 can probably happen for all men. I don't like to guarantee that it can. But there's certainly a lot of fun in just trying over and over again. So so just keep getting there. Keep getting closer. See what it takes for you personally when you feel like you might have gotten close to it. Find out, well, what was it that kind of got me close that time? Was it something I said? Was it something you saw? Was it an image you put in your head? Was it some situation that made you more likely to, to have this experience? And then you can try to aim for that next time. You can try to be more aware of that condition next time. But just you, you absolutely have to relax. That is definitely the number one thing. Just relax about it.
Sure. And we're highlighting, you know, one kind of orgasm and one kind of experience here. But I think it's worth mentioning uh, that a hands-free orgasm is possible for people with a vulva, for people who identify as women and these other orientations or options. So if you're curious, I'd invite everybody to kind of get out there and, and see what they can find. Absolutely. Give it a try. What's the harm? I mean, just just it's fun. That's the thing. Trying is fun. Practicing is fun. So so just I think that's the thing too like have a sense of fun about it some people have written to me very concerned that they can't have one of these things and i just think you're on the wrong track already if you're concerned you shouldn't be concerned about your orgasm you know it's just something that you should you should be having fun with it and mm -hmm. until you can get in that mindset um it might be difficult for you but by all means just look for the look for the experience in whatever way you have it that's what sexuality is about and certainly self pleasure certainly if you're alone and 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 pleasuring yourself there's there's no expectations here there's nothing that you need to worry about this is self love time this is time for you to just connect with your own experience your own body your own likes and dislikes that's kind of thing just make sure that you're connecting with yourself and and uh, i think that's a it's as therapeutic as anything else is, you know, it's as good as a massage. It's as, you know, it's as good as anything else. And um, more people should be willing to do that. I think, I think mm -hmm. we'd be happier. <laughs> as good as anything else. I think that's a, a great way of explaining it. I I'm hoping V that when we wrap up the episode tonight with our, you know, regular encouragement for everybody to go out and give themselves a big old orgasm that, you know, at least a couple of people will be curious about trying that orgasm hands-free. Right. Isn't that usually like the next step in your, in, in, in your skill set? Like you do something and then you go, look, ma, no hands. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> All right. We do have a couple calls on the line and I'd love, love, love to be able to talk to Jonathan. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Hi, Jonathan. How's it going? Going good. You're on the air with V and Christy. How can we help you tonight? Well, I've just been having a lot of uh, thoughts, a lot of, uh, lot of little things, uh, having a lot of uh, new things happening in my life. And uh, I was thinking these would be some wonderful people to call in to give me a little bit of advice on that. All right. How can we help? Well, uh, I was raised in an incredibly conservative household and, you know, I'm getting here in my thirties and I have not dated since I was 23 and I just now started dating somebody again. And how exciting! it's really exciting. And it's, it's another guy. So, you know, there, there, I wouldn't call it complications on account of that. Like mm -hmm. I don't have any residual guilt from uh, my conservative upbringing. I've been able to largely leave that behind me, but I am just absolutely goddamn clueless about what to do, what to expect from other people and what to expect from myself. And, you know, I, I feel like there's always the generic, well, have the conversation about that. Talk to the, the person you're interested with about that. See where you're comfortable with, see what's going on with you. And, uh, I'm going to shut up now before I give myself all the advice while you got to listen to me. <laughs> I, I mean, keep going. Like, I, there are people listening, you know. I, I have to point out you're you're on the right track. Like, communication is uh, the most important thing in any relationship. And, you know, I, I'm hearing some of your language, but I, I want to make sure I understand you well. Is this your first time dating another man? Is that part of why this maybe feels a little bit uh, new or, or awkward or different? It's it's my first serious relationship with another man. 
Sure. And uh, I like this guy enough that I actually really am emotionally invested in it and want it to go well. I mean, he is he is smart and he is sweet. And I have not felt this way about another human being since I was a teenager getting sweaty palms at uh, middle (laughs) (laughs) This makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, It's like, it's not doing stuff like this. Part of why we do this show V like that was a huge draw in joining up with the ACA (laughs) and being part of something like this. Uh, But please go ahead V. I'm just going to empathize with you for a minute. Uh, it is so it's a completely different ball game when you're when you're dating somebody of either the same gender or a gender that is not the one you were trained and like prepped to be interested in because you know all the rules, right? You've kind of internalized them and they may be shitty rules and we may need to you know revamp how we view them. But it's kind of like you know how to play the game and then you're like, OK, you know how to play Balderdash. Here's Monopoly. Cool. There there are very few similarities here. Uh, But ultimately, it is about the other player, right? It's about the other person at the other end of the table, not the game itself. So the game might be different, but focusing on the other person and just being open and being honest and saying, hey, I've never played this game before. (laughs) And if they haven't either, that's great. You get to play along and figure out the rules together. And if you... If the other person has played it before, then they get to they get to share that with you and and walk you through. And either way, it's going to be an amazing adventure, and I'm super excited for you. I'm I'm pretty excited for me too. You know, it's interesting. It's odd. You're talking about it being different different rules, similar game, but uh, I like I was flirting with him and talking about power tools in the same conversation and like (laughs) not the gender stereotype but that was not anything i had ever done with a woman Mm -hmm. oh yeah no the the different that is that is the the thing that i appreciate most about being bi is just the difference in the conversations the difference in the interactions and and how they do feel different right you might not feel the way you would about a woman uh, about this guy. It may be a completely different experience. It may punt you right back into high school, right? But it is, it is, doesn't, that doesn't have any implication as to the quality, right? I know a lot of people, especially people who are attracted to more than one gender, uh, saying, hey, I don't feel the same way about this gender as I do that one. I interact with them differently. I might be more romantic towards one or the other. I may be more sexual towards one or the other. And that is absolutely okay. (laughs) And I, I encourage you as you start out on this relationship with this person, to pay attention to what your own uh, your own instincts are telling you about, hey, in another situation, I might do this, but I really feel like I should be doing this instead. Go with that. See, see how that works. And again, always communicate um, and let your partner know, hey, this is something I'm not used to. I had to personally text this uh, woman that I was out with like an apology after leaving from our first date. Like, I am so sorry. I really wanted to kiss you. And I had no idea how to initiate that. I, <laughs> I apologize. And she was just like, I wanted to do the same thing. And I didn't know what I was doing either. So let's make a second date and plan to end it that way next time. And so the communication itself can be part of the fun as well. And it sounds like you guys are getting that. You guys are, are building this on conversation. I, I think we are. Uh, you know, we had our date. We uh, we met up at a state park and we went hiking from like 11 o'clock until sundown. 
and like we we were watching the sunset together uh, just in a beautiful location and you know just little light body contact and i realized that i wasn't comfortable going any level further on the physical side of things in that mm-hmm. And I let him know, and he was really kind and really understanding about it. And like th- that, that endeared me to him even more at that point to have that sort of validation in that moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm I'm glad to hear that it's such a, a comforting and supportive relationship. Uh, but let me also encourage you to be okay with making mistakes, with being awkward and goofy and, you know, a pimply faced teenager style approach if that's where you're at. You know, it's it's perfectly okay. We all want to be Hitch or James Dean or insert your favorite reference here. But the reality is it's perfectly acceptable to be a little bit awkward and a little bit gross, especially as this is new for you, especially as you're experimenting and playing around with all of these things. It's totally okay to feel awkward and a little bit gross. It doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. And frankly, even if you're doing it wrong, that's not necessarily a problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's new for me. I'm I'm used to being in situations where it's okay for me to screw things up for myself, (laughs) but I don't want to, you know, I look at it and I'm like, I don't want to screw this up for somebody else. And yeah. And and we all do, you know, I mean, the reality of relationships is that you are just taking the number of opportunities to make a mistake and multiplying it by the number of people in the relationship. And, you know, especially as you are kind of entering into this new world, it's worth recognizing that every new relationship is likely to end. And that's okay. You may feel a little more experienced, a little more comfortable the next go round. And that's great. But it's totally okay to be a little bit awkward, a little bit strange. And even as you want to be your best for this person, even as you're excited for this person and really hopeful about the nature of the relationship, it's just worth keeping everything in perspective. Remembering that you have survived every breakup, every bad experience. You've survived 100% of every bad day you've ever been through, of every bad date that you've ever been through. And that's just part of the process. That's part of life. That's part of love. And I think it's uh, an important value to embrace that awkwardness, to embrace that failure a little bit and to be accepting of yourself because that type of self-compassion is going to really show through in a relationship. It's going to really let your partner know that it's okay and that it's beautiful to be just enjoying these things together, regardless of how charming or uh, or confident you might feel uh, at any given moment. That makes a lot of sense. And if in doubt, you can always make them some soup. <laughs> That's uh yeah, that, that can go a long that is, ways. That is a that is a reference that Jonathan, I think, will get. But <laughs> I think I do get that. I think I think they will. I think you would appreciate crepes, but soup will be a second option. There we go. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Thank you so much for calling in, Jonathan. I am over the moon for you guys and so, so excited. Thank you, V. Thank you, Christy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Have a great night. Bye. You too. Bye. Well, V, we've got more folks on the line. We've also got uh, one more segment of this interview. Where do you want to go next? 
I think that we should give the, the other person on the call some time here. And then if mm -hmm. anybody wants to call in during our last segment, we probably have a couple minutes at the end to, to get to you. So we'll take the caller now and then give you guys a chance at those open lines. Okay. Well, great. Uh, Jan, we've got you on the line. What can we do for you tonight? Hi, you sexy people. How are you tonight? Doing hey, good. Doing great. Compliments will get you everywhere. V I, <laughs> v, I adore you. Your hair looks great. Cut it yourself. It looks great. You're a beautiful Thank person. You. I love watching hair. <laughs> I appreciate that. Man, I'm liking tonight. I, think I, like, watching right. <laughs> I like watching Matt do it. Uh, Christy, I don't know you very well. I haven't seen much of you, but you seem like a very warm-hearted, compassionate, and tender person, and I love that about you. Well, I do my best. Thank um, you so much for calling in. What's on your mind? I well, I I have been doing an experiment for a while now. Um, I had an ex-wife who was gender fluid, and it took me a little while to come around, but I finally came around to the you are whatever gender you perceive yourself as. I'm there now, so it's good. You know, men with beards are, are around. We're good. Um, and I've even taken it farther, I think, and I've been performing this sort of experiment where I am trying really hard to gender neutralize my world, if that makes any sense. I, I've been trying really hard to think of people as a person as mm. opposed to a guy or a girl, as they instead of him or her, and just to see the person, because I mean, we all agree, all men don't have penises, all women don't have vaginas, whatever bits you have is irrelevant to your gender, et cetera, et cetera. I think we can agree on that, correct? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. But I, I just, and I, I remember getting in an argument with someone on Facebook. Uh, it was a trans woman, identified as she, her, fine. And I, at one point I had made a comment about them or they, I forget exactly what the, and they got really upset and basically went on the attack claiming I had misgendered them. And my point was that, no, I have not misgendered you. I have simply avoided gendering you at all. And I, I just, I see I, something in my head says, at what point, since it's getting to the point where man and woman are meaning less and less and less as a category to put people in, at what point, you know, would it not make the most sense to try to drop these labels and say, we're all people, we're all they, we're all them. Let's, you know, it's one thing that, why can't we just at some point drop this and let it be one less thing to divide us. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I can't help but feel like so much of my career has been leading to this exact moment. Uh, because I definitely hear where you're coming from. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about gender abolition recently. And I think that uh, I, I feel comfortable speaking for V when I can at least say that there are way too many gendered things. We don't need mm -hmm. our hammers and our cars and everything else to be like specifically gendered in the way that we do. Uh, but when you, when you say that uh, the categories of like men and women are meaning less and less, I might actually push back on that. I might even argue that the word man or the word woman is more powerful or more specific and meaningful than it used to be 
in large part because we're allowing people to opt in and opt out of those words in ways that we haven't in the past. The Whether that's true or not, what I do feel overwhelmingly is that the important piece here is that you're respecting people's stated gender identity. So while you may uh, be giving people carte blanche to be themselves and wanting and uh, encouraging them to express themselves regardless of who they are or where they're coming from, it's important to recognize and believe them when they tell you who they are. And I, I hear what you're saying about they, them pronouns. You know, as a, as a young therapist, I made a real effort to actually remove all gendered language from any of my professional writing. Uh, and it, it honestly took about a solid year of writing mm -hmm. professional case notes to eventually take gendered pronouns out of that language and to turn everything into a they them term. Yeah, and I, I wanted to get used to that kind of writing and I still write that way in many, many cases for privacy reasons and, and all these other complicated concerns. But early on in my career, I was corresponding with a parent about their child and they had brought their child to me because there was some gender concerns or maybe some gender confusion early in the early in their uh, puberty and in their development. And in responding to this parent, I used all they, them or gender neutral language. And Looking back, I totally appreciate the incredibly angry reaction that I got to that email. You know, the response was, you've only had two sessions with this person. How could you possibly dictate their gender? I can't believe you're already switching pronouns and, and these kinds of things. And I, I recognize the value of that now or the mistake that I made because while I do want to live in a more gender neutral or a less gendered world, I want to be really mindful to respect what people say about themselves. And so I, I hear where you're coming from. And if we were going to like Sim City, this country's culture from the ground up, then I, I might agree with you that we should get rid of a lot of this gendered language and get rid of pronouns in many, many contexts. But when you're talking to somebody who says she, her, I think you're obligated to use she, her. Is that fair? I... I can't say I'm 100% on board with you there because it's, and again, you are the expert. I'm a layman. You probably know more about what you're talking about than I do. But it seems to me, and this is just thinking it out for myself. I have no training. I have no education in this. But it seems to me that obviously each person is the author of their own bodily destiny. If you feel like you should have been born with a penis and you weren't, then if it's appropriate for you, you should take steps to remedy that. If you have body parts that you feel like you should not have been born with, then if it's appropriate, you should remedy that. I have, you know, everyone's body is their body. It's none of my business. You do what you feel you need to do. But it seems to me, just as a sort of, I thought about this and this kind of reasoned it out, that while body dysphoria may always be a problem. I mean, there will probably always be people born with bits that they don't think they should have. But gender dysphoria, if there weren't these stereotypical categories that we try to squeeze, well, not as much anymore, but people still do it. If there weren't these opposing categories, you are this or you're this. And people get that stuck in your head. And if we stop saying this is male, this is female, and just said, dress how you want, speak how you want, love who you want, 
engage in whatever hobbies, activities, interests you want, and don't worry about whether power tools make you a man or wearing a skirt makes you a woman. It seems like gender dysphoria would be a concept of the past because there would just be nothing to be dysphoric about and it'd be one less problem for people to have. Does that, does that make sense? Am I, am I way off base here? I think it's very difficult for us to predict exactly what's going to happen in a future where this might be a reality. We might move into a space where gender neutral is the the default and then people choose if they want to be a man or a woman or something else. Um, but I think the point here, and we do need to get to this last clip, but I do want to make sure I address this. Uh, you might not personally understand this and that's okay. You're on the right track. Do like continue to have these conversations, call in again. The key here though, is that you, it's difficult to grasp this if you have not experienced it yourself, but a lot of binary trans people. So a lot of binary trans people who uh, identify as a man or a woman have been misgendered their whole lives, probably, unless they're very, very lucky and very, very few, um, they have been misgendered. And their goal is to be gendered correctly, which is he, him, or she, her. In the case of this trans woman, it is she, her. That is her goal. And so saying, no, you don't get that, or no, I disagree with that, to them, that adds you right into the entire group of people who their whole lives have been saying to, to her, to that person, you are not she, her, right? And so there is that conflict there, and, and it's an ongoing conversation. Um, ContraPoints on, uh, on YouTube got into quite a bit of trouble for complaining about the fact that she is always represent she is always called she her unless she is in a queer space and then it's like oh do you have your pronouns what are your preferred pronouns and she's like just call me she her that's what i am like don't try and uh-huh. you know use they them or get squeamish like i am a woman that's what i am call me that so it is mm-hmm. really st- and we're we have yet to see exactly how that's going to play out um, in the future. But for now, a good rule of thumb is if somebody tells you their gender, you use those pronouns or you, you know, have to deal with being called rude or disrespectful because that's what that is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Give me something to think about, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, definitely take a think on it and call back. We'd like to, to walk you through with this. Great. Love you both. You guys have a good night. Have a good show. Good night. Appreciate you. Take care. Well, we got to jump into the rest of that interview, uh, but I, I guess I just want to be really mindful to point out that this is an issue of uh, respecting individuals. You know, I appreciate his desire to kind of start the gender revolution, V, but you can't do that at the expense of a person standing in front of you telling you how they want to be addressed or how they want to communicate. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy saying, please call me she, her. Yeah, um, that's the way it goes. <laughs> no, but it, to me, it's like, okay, well, like we, we admit that there are more flavors than chocolate and vanilla. That doesn't mean that chocolate and vanilla don't exist anymore. Right. It's yeah. just that we also say, oh, hey, you can like strawberry if you'd like, or you can like pistachio. That's awesome. It doesn't de- decrease the value of other flavors or somehow nullify them. And if you don't like ice cream, that's totally fine too. You don't need to partake. But if someone says my fla- my favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate, you can't say, well, that's wrong <laughs> or no, no, it's not. So 
Hashtag not all flavors. Not all uh, flavors. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into a another kind of nuanced gender conversation. Uh, let's go ahead and roll the clip now. Do you use the word porn to describe your work? I I do, but it, I put it this way: I have no objection to using it because sure. I'm very much the kind of person that words are very important to me. Maybe it just comes from being a writer, but there are certain words I refuse to use about what I do. Mm. I refuse to call it dirty, filthy, nasty, any of those types of things that most people usually do, naughty, you know, any of that stuff, because I feel like that implies something completely negative about yourself and about sexuality, which I think is very healthy and we all need it. But um, by the same token, I don't I don't have a problem calling it porn because it is. It's, it is, you know, writing about sex or um, not writing necessarily, but you know what I mean. It's about sex. And so that's the root of the word. That's what porn means. And so that's fine. I think it's just that I tend to make the distinction. I say visual porn if I'm talking about most common things you might find on Pornhub or whatever. I, I make sure people understand that, to my mind, what we're doing is, is a little bit different. And so you might want to make that distinction. Because, yes, it's just as sexy as anything you'd see in porn, but it's a different experience. So, But I, I don't have an objection to it. Sure. Well, I, I imagine when you, you know, whether you say erotic audio or whatever term you're using, that people are probably caught off guard by sort of the, the comforting, affirming, the, the emotional support aspect of, of what you put out there. How do people react to that initially? Well, most people, it's still such a young thing that most people don't even know what it is most of the time. So that's something you do have to do a bit of explaining, usually. Um, but you're right in the sense that it does it does have a different feel, if I were to say, erotic or intimate audio versus audio porn. Audio porn sounds a little harsher for some reason. It sounds a little more like this is the soundtrack from from porn videos, whereas erotic audio or intimate audio does sound like it's something slightly different. Um, I, I have seen every reaction from things like people saying erotic audio. What are you talking about? When I watch porn, I turn the sound off. You know, I've seen reactions like that to, uh, where has this been all my life? This is exactly what I want because I've never seen myself represented in porn and it, it is driving me crazy. You know, I am not a 19 year old, hard bodied, big titted girl with belly rings and long blonde hair. And so it does nothing for me or, whatever you know most porn these days although it is changing but most porn coming up from 60s and 70s onwards which is where a lot of people had their first experience with it you know finding their dad's stash or whatever this is what they came to expect uh from porn was people who looked a certain way guys who had 12 inch dicks and you know stuff like that so a lot of people are finding erotic audio and saying, I'm just so glad that I don't have to think about the visuals anymore because it was never what I wanted. It was never something that reflected me or the people I was attracted to or my perfect scenarios. Some people seem to have a genuine voice kink where they just love people's voices more than they would love their appearance or any other thing that people can be attracted to. Um, so it, it generally gets the reaction of like, this is this is an amazing thing. This is a really interesting thing. Of course, you're always going to get the negatives, the people that are just like, what is this? You know, like, like some people think it's weird, you know, but I mean, you have to kind of, you have to just get rid of that because because people are going to find everything weird. There There's there's people that are going to dislike everything that that is out there. So you have to just ignore that and say, this reaches enough people, enough people enjoy this, that um, 
if they're curious, even you can just explain what it is and they'll find out if they like it or not the, the minute they listen. So yeah, well, you told us that it was really important to you to be true to yourself and that that's really worked out well, but I, I'm curious how you even came to this particular angle or, or how you started approaching things from this direction. Well, I suppose I, I had been very interested in, in sexuality. I was on the track to go to medical school before I, before I started all of this. I had decided that it wasn't for me after all, but I had, I had thought about sexuality, studied sexuality at university quite a bit, and I had realized that there was, uh, I had a perspective on it that I felt was uh, true to myself. Like, like most people, I think, you know, you examine your own, your own sexuality at some point in your life and you, you think, what, what do I like? What don't I like? Who do I like? Who am I attracted to? That kind of thing. And so I just, I determined that this, you know, maybe what I am or what I like doesn't have a name. Um, I tend to use very kind of just old school. I just say I'm a straight woman. I just, I, you know, I, I tend to use older terms for what I am because I don't really have a label for myself. Um, don't really want one really. It's just, <laughs> this is, this is what I'm into. And so I kind of knew this even before I started doing this. I had known this about myself. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I identify as a woman who likes men. That's my thing in life, and um, it's been that way ever since I was a teenager. I've never been anything else, so I don't really, you know, I don't have any problems with it. Put it that way. And so when I started doing this, I just thought because I was doing this for fun, for self-expression, just for myself, I thought, well, I just got to be myself. I just got to, I'm just going to do what I like to do. Some people would write and say, hey, can you do an audio about this? Or can you do an audio with another girl or whatever? And I just thought, well, I could. I mean, it is just acting and I don't have any problem with it. It's just it doesn't feel authentic to me. It doesn't feel like me. And, and so there's less less enjoyment in doing something that you then start to feel like you're just kind of doing a you're, you're speaking someone else's lines put it that way you know mm -hmm. you feel like you're living somebody else's truth i just thought no i'm just going to stick with who i am and there's so many people out there who represent everything that there's room for everybody i think it's it's great that there's especially in audio where there is room for everything including like complete fantasy some people have these imaginary situations with you know characters from games and cosplay and just you know the most the most fantastical stuff star trek and science fiction everything you can think of um i do a whole series where i play a, a computer voice on a spaceship where i'm a i'm a sentient computer that is responsible for her captain's sexual health and so it's wild i mean this is stuff you could never do in any other way unless maybe you had a big budget hollywood movie maybe right but they wouldn't get up to the shenanigans i get up to in a hollywood movie that's for sure but but you know it's just it's it's just so like you might as well ex just do exactly what you love because mm -hmm. you can in this medium and and it's very accepted across the whole medium everybody's just you do you you know your your kink is your kink just explore it it's no problem so i think it's it's healthy to kind of stick with with um what you what you like it's as simple as that and, and there's obviously a market for it. I mean, there's been a, a response to it. And, you know, we're not looking to be negative about the nasty, dirty, sexy, sexy sex, you know, the, the degradation and all of that kind of stuff. But obviously people are looking for something like this that doesn't have that necessarily like pulpy or, or campy vibe to it. Uh, and I think so much of porn is viewed that way. It's either like vapid or, or outright harmful. So 
I, I know you're not putting this out there as some sort of therapy, but I know that a lot of people can really find meaningful healing by uh, going through the motions in these ways and having these kinds of experiences. How do you feel about, I guess, sort of the, the power of this material to, to support people? Well, I think it's it's you can't help but be affected when someone writes to you and says, I was in therapy for five years and nothing helped me more than listening to your audios for six months. And this kind of thing that when you hear it, um, it's very impactful, as you can imagine. Um, sure. It's humbling. I make it clear when I put things out, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor. If you need help, please go seek professional help. I, you know, I'm not trying to be a substitute. But I do think that I've come to realize that that sexual health is mental health um, in many ways. I'm not, it's not only, um, it's not the only thing that constitutes mental health, but I think that people completely underestimate how important someone's sexuality is to their mental well-being. And so I do think that any person who puts out kind of intimate type of stuff from like in my case, or the types of things I do has to realize that they may be acting as a kind of a sex surrogate in some ways. And that, that, touches on therapy that touches on a therapeutic approach to healing people's traumas to helping them overcome things i've had i've had men write to me saying they were sexually abused as children and they had a hard time with their own desires and with their own you know various issues and so they wanted audios where they were in control of what happened during the sexual encounter. So I would make different endings of the audio that they could choose depending on what they were feeling like at that time. So they could choose whether they were going to orgasm at the end or not, because it was in their hands. It wasn't that someone else was making them do this, these types of things. So it definitely, I think it, it borders on, on a kind of therapy without it being an official, officially sanctioned sure. type of, you know, uh, therapeutic approach. Um, but, I think that's only because really so few people in society are willing to talk about sex in any serious way that even even psychologists who pursue sexology as a career or sex surrogacy or sex therapy are generally looked down on in their own profession. They've I've known of sexologists who have said that they've been told by their colleagues, you're, you're committing career suicide if you go this way. And so you think, well, this is such a shame because certainly every Every therapist, I imagine one of my best friends is a therapist, and she says, you know, 80% of her clientele has got sexual issues. So why is this suddenly such a taboo subject that no psychologist should should go into that field when clearly it's something that everyone, almost everyone needs some, could could benefit from some help with or some guidance or some just to talk to someone about some issues. Um, we all just kind of hurdle through puberty without even knowing what we're doing half the time. We don't know whether this is right or wrong. We can't really talk to anybody about it. We certainly can't talk to our parents about it. We learn sex usually from the street, from school, <laughs> not from school, but from our friends, kind of our friends, you know, or from, as I said, dad's porn stash, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so I think it would be very useful if we could see it more as a, as uh, anybody who does kind of put out sort of sexual content could be seen more as a therapeutic type of thing. Um, there's so many possibilities. There's so much you could do with it. People healing from rape trauma, stuff like that. There's just so, so much that you could do. Um, and I do find that erotic audio is great for things like people who are uh, transitioning. They don't know how they feel about gender. They don't know how they feel about who they're attracted to or how they feel themselves or their own body or things like that. And so audio is a great way for them to explore these 
potential sort of not exactly fantasies fantasy is the wrong word but it's almost like visualization it's like mm -hmm. i would like to visualize myself living as a man say if you're a trans man so they get to explore that in their in an audio they get to imagine this this uh this potential scenario in their life without having to live it first of all so that they can sort of do a bit of a practice run if that sounds right it's so that's what i mean it's it's i think it has so many therapeutic possibilities i could go on forever about it but that's that's my take on it no absolutely i mean as a sex therapist myself i, I don't want to make it seem as if i'm like you know swapping porn stashes with my clients on a regular <laughs> basis but i i have pointed people towards your work and seen people experience healing from that opportunity to you know, I guess go go inward a little bit and mm -hmm. in a way kind of get out of their own heads by right. not feeling the the obligations or the expectations of a, you know, a sexual partner who's in the room needing to be impressed or, you know, that that type of uh, concern around trauma or not being able to push pause or, or whatever else that these audios can afford you. Right. Well, that's awesome. I'm very glad to hear that because that's that's great. That's exactly the kind of listener I would love to reach. That that really makes what I do meaningful to me, and that's important to me as well. So, I'm very glad if I've been able to help anybody that way. And and uh, I would love to work more closely with with sex therapists or anybody that's involved in this because it's just become so clear to me how important it is for people. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's fun too. I can't I can't make it all serious. It's definitely fun. You don't have to have any issues to enjoy this by any means. But mm -hmm. but uh, it just I think it just speaks to how how uh, soothing and comforting and and positive an experience it is. If people are actually using it as therapy, it has to be a good experience. Even if you just come to it just for the for the lulls, you know, just for the <laughs> just to, <laughs> just to get off, you know, you have to realize that it's it's obviously really good. It's obviously a really good experience. So. Yeah, I mean, sex is inherently silly, and that's yes. part of what makes it so great. You know, exactly. there's nothing wrong with embracing that. Exactly. Well, I, I imagine a lot of men feel kind of kind of silly, you know, a little bit uncomfortable, maybe finding comfort in that like digital girlfriend experience, you know, falling asleep or listening to the affirmations of a total stranger. Uh, what would you say to somebody who feels a, a little bit shy or uncomfortable embracing this when our society basically says like this is what porn is this is okay yeah i i would say that don't mistake the uh i'm gonna misquote somebody here don't mistake the medium for the message <laughs> don't like don't get caught up in how you're experiencing this focus instead on the connection here is a person another human being on the earth just like you who's trying to reach out and give you a feminine presence in my case experience that is designed to with with the sole intention of helping you uh, like there's many people in helping professions, doctors, therapists, all kinds of people that want to help other people. So this isn't unusual that I might want to do that too. And and my goal is to reach out to people that are having trouble sleeping or they're dealing with bereavement or they're lonely or they're for some other reason, they would just love that moment of human connection. Um, and and some of the audios I do are are non-erotic, and some of the most popular ones I do are series called Sweet Nothings, which are uh, non-gender specific and non-erotic. So the idea is I'm just cuddling in bed with you, and it's incredibly silly. The whole thing is just ridiculously silly. I end up laughing and just doing the dumbest things, but I also do singing and sleeping and all this sort of stuff. And the idea is I'm just 
you know, just put your headphones in and just pretend I'm there. Like there's, there's no, there's nothing wrong with this. You're just enjoying this. This would be the same if we were actually best friends or, or lovers or long distance relationship or whatever. And suppose we could only communicate by Skype tonight because we were apart because of COVID kept us apart or something. Like imagine that this is exactly how we would have to communicate. It doesn't matter how it, it matters that we're, we're connecting with each other. That's the important part. And so for people who are just trying to get off to sleep or something, they don't need to be an active participant in this. They can imagine that they're an active participant in this playfulness or this sleepiness or this soothing, soothing kind of comfort. Um, and I don't think that there's any, um, there shouldn't be any stigma to it because it's not, uh, even if it is, if it is an erotic thing that you're listening to, it's again, it's the same thing. I, I think it's, it's simply another way of enjoying sexuality that um, it doesn't have to be like I've always said to people, just because you you haven't had sex with a partner doesn't mean you haven't had sex. I have a really hard time with the, the term virgin these days. I try to tell people virgin used to mean like a, a girl who had been brought up in a convent. That's what a virgin was. That was the girl who who back in the 17th century, she had no idea about anything. She didn't know anything about anything, even her own body. She didn't know. She didn't know where babies came from. She didn't know, you know, it was a shock on her wedding night, that kind of thing. These days, most people, I would say, um, are not virgins in that sense of the word at all. That if you have been sexual, even with yourself, that you you are um, a sexually aware person, you have had a sexual experience, you just haven't had sex with a partner yet. And I think it's important to make that distinction for people so that they don't feel that they're so different from other people or that they're set apart or there's something wrong with them or anything like that, because this is a completely natural way for us to be. Um, sex with a partner doesn't even have to happen in a person's lifetime, but sex will, if you allow it, your own sexuality will come out. If you allow it, you will allow yourself to experience pleasure and you will explore your own body. If you let yourself when you're a teenager and things like that or younger. And, and I think that it's important to, to recognize that we go through all of these stages in our life of trying to satisfy that inner sexuality that we have and being with a real partner in the room is just one way. So if you're listening to an or watching porn or talking to somebody on the phone or or even a sex doll or a, or a, a substitute, you know, like a flashlight thing or a, a vibe or whatever, a dildo, whatever it is you use. These are all just ways for you to enjoy sexuality. And since there's no stigma for toys, for example, for sex toys, there shouldn't be a stigma about listening to somebody or 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 whatever, however it is you enjoy sex, there should be no stigma to it because the core should be you are enjoying sex. That's that's the important part. I love that. Um, I just have one kind of final question, and this was actually inspired by something you, you brought up. Um, I'm finding it very interesting to interact with people online in this COVID era. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I, I watched my sister get married over a live stream. Oh, wow. And that was hard not to be there, but even more so, it was it was weird because I've watched YouTubers that I followed weddings on live streams, and now I'm watching my sisters, and I'm only interacting with my family and many of my friends through the same mediums that I'm, I'm interacting with content creators that I watch frequently, sometimes even more than I'm talking to my friends. And so mm -hmm. for me, I feel like we're probably going to see a very interesting parasocial relationship phenomenon start uh, where we actually maybe lose the ability or adapt 
our ability to relate to people differently because we're all again we're maybe you know mistaking the medium for the message and moving into a very virtual only space so all that to say my question is do you see right now or are you predicting maybe a increase in people who are looking for your services or a shift in the way that they're approaching you in general because you are now on the same platform as people who they might not get to see in real life. Yes, it's a really good point. And I do think that that could become much more common um, from this COVID situation, starting it and then going forward. It could be something we see a lot more of. But I think that if people are worried about people um, blurring lines or crossing boundaries or not being able to understand the difference between their sister's wedding and you know a, a, a YouTuber that they follow. I think I think the 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 difference is we have always had the ability. Most of us growing up, certainly in 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 the West, I'm not sure about other cultures, but in most Western societies, we grow up understanding that there are different levels of of types of communication with people in our personal lives. So we know that we talk to our friends differently than we talk to our parents, differently than we talk to the police. We we use different language. We use different types of respect. We use different, you know, we express ourselves differently. Um, we're all, we're using the same language in each situation and yet it's very different. And we've learned this, we've kind of internalized this. We've learned how and when is appropriate to talk to people in a certain way. And I don't think we even think about it. I think it's natural. I think when you're pulled over by somebody for speeding, you talk to him differently just naturally than you would talk to your, your buddy who's been your friend since you were five. And I think the same thing is going to happen with online um, parasocial relationships. You're going to realize that, oh yeah, I've met my my friend and I've been talking to them because I met them online and I talked to them online and it, that's the only way we ever communicate. But it's not the same as my brother. It's not the same as my best friend who I may temporarily have to only see online in some ways, I think it's going to be very apparent in, in some part of our minds that this is, your sister's wedding is a temporary situation. Your YouTuber that you follow is a permanent situation. You're not going to know that person personally. And I think we can make that distinction. It's not to say some people won't cross the lines. Sometimes people do. And what we do is very, like uh, by we, I mean erotic audio people. What we do is very intimate and it can lead to potential problems in that area. Mm -hmm. But not very often. I think people get it. I think they get just like they've watched Hollywood movies for years and they don't think Nicole Kidman is actually their girlfriend, you know, that kind of thing. I think that that's the, it's the case with what we do, too, that it's easy to make that that distinction. And so um, but it certainly is interesting that, you, you know, the way you mention it, that everything now is online in a sense. And so um, but but. You know, to kind of argue that point a little bit, I think what would be wrong with that, really? I mean, we're reaching each other. We're actually communicating with each other. And the world is so divided right now, the, especially the United States is so divided. And so um, everybody is so upset. And so um, their very values, their, their core beliefs, their core values are being challenged every day um, by a very sharp divide that I think anything that brings people together and reminds us of our common humanity and makes us actually want to be together and not talk about politics and not talk about religion and not talk about the things that can tend to set people off is a good thing. So maybe we all need more online friends. I don't, I don't know. I mean, just anything. I, I tend to think it's a, it goes in a good direction. The more pleasant reactions and interactions you have with other human beings, <laughs> the better, I think. So we'll see how that goes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eve. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking. That was a good question. <laughs>
Okay. Well, I guess we'll consider that clear. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, telling you, man, we just have to embrace the awkward. We are so awkward. We just need to like just go whole hog at this point. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh the the pre-taped interviews are always fun uh because like the the magic is in the room at the moment and then it just comes to this like stop, start, stop, start. Uh but yeah, I, I'm curious what your reaction is uh is to some of that again, is we are kind of walking into this uh, uncomfortable conversation, at least for me in many ways, around masculinity, around maybe wanting to cater towards masculine voices, uh, which is not an inherently bad thing, but in a society that has such a confusing and, and complicated and frankly negative relationship with masculinity, uh, I'm curious how it strikes you. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly going to go back to my to my ice cream analogy, mostly sure. because I'm hungry, but also because I think it works. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with lichen vanilla. I really don't. I think that it's a solid flavor. And for the people who like it, it should be readily available and made of the best stuff. Uh, but I think it just becomes a matter of personal preference and respecting those preferences and saying, you know what? I might have been told my whole life I need to like vanilla and I really don't. Or I might have been told my whole life I was vanilla and I'm not. Um, and so I think I think it's an ongoing conversation and one that is going to shift and adjust as we talked with Jan, like as we continue to explore what gender is and what sexuality means and, and build new words and new vocabularies and new ways of looking at the world, masculinity is going to change. And it has already, right? Like it, it has changed so much even in the last couple of decades decades um I, remember I, I might argue in the last couple of years you know not to say that the me too movement was about men but in many ways it, it was and i i think that 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 pressure uh still exists and and should right mm -hmm. oh certainly um i love to i love to use the uh the show bojack horseman as kind of an example here and i know we have miss okist on next week and and she has a particular gripe about uh Todd being <laughs> the, uh, the only ace character represented. Um, so we'll leave that conversation for another day. But I think you can see that difference um, even in that show because when it started, people were like, oh, Bojack's cool and kind of edgy and, and, and I like this character. I want to model myself after this character. And it dealt with the Me Too movement as it was happening. And by the end of the show, the general consensus among the audience and certainly the, the show writers was, this is not a good character. You should never sure. try to be like this person. Not a hero. Right. This is a, a, a manual on how not to be. So, yeah, I think in, in terms of, of media, especially, you are absolutely right. Even the last couple of years has changed. So I, I just I love I love making words mean new things. I'm a descriptivist. <laughs> and if masculinity means something different in five years, we can have this conversation again. But in the meantime, as long as you're respecting other people, you can like whatever flavor you like. Yeah, well, fair fair to say. Uh, so I, I guess we'll take a moment to let everybody know that uh, Miss Okist will be back with us next week. I know that she has been a, uh, a fan favorite, definitely one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Uh, so we, we hope that everybody will join us then. Uh, of course, if you are interested in Eve and any of the uh, erotic, hypnotic content or any of the things that we're talking about, you can find her online. She's on Twitter at, at 
Eve underscore garden. She's also on uh, YouTube and on Reddit and these different spaces. If you search uh, erotica or Eve's garden. And uh, of course you can find us on Twitter is at secular sex or in our official Facebook fan group. Uh, and then right after this episode, We'll be jumping into the uh, Discord server just to say hi and maybe clear up any other uh, questions or misconceptions about hypnosis. I, I know that this can be kind of a, a confounding and, uh, and tricky topic for a lot of folks. So I'm hoping, V, that this will be maybe the, the first episode in many, but maybe that's just my predilection to always want to talk about hypnosis. Well, you know, uh, we can we can certainly make that happen. Uh, we're we are going to need to to wrap up though because I just learned that there is a limit to how many dildos you can own in Austin, and it's five. And I need to go hide some things. Real quick. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we will take a moment to hide our dildos, uh, maybe to get into a deep, relaxed state, and uh, give ourselves a big ol' orgasm, or better yet. Give somebody, Give somebody else, else one. one. Switch to mute too early. <laughs>